The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Well, I, as I was laying out the, uh, this week's message, I was actually thinking it would be kind of a buffet-style message. Now, I know buffets are out right now. We can't do that. In fact, some people think they should never come back. I won't mention any names, but my wife is really snooty about buffets. I think she'll be glad if they never come back. But the, uh, the message was, you see, last week we only covered like six or seven verses in the book of Acts, chapter 6. And this week I was going to cover like 93 verses. And it, it fit together perfectly because we're going to talk about Stephen, and then we're going to talk about Saul, and then we're going to talk about a guy named Simon in chapter 8. And you know how much I love alliteration. We had those three S's ready to go. But each one had kind of a different main idea. And I was going to say, hey, this is like a buffet today. You can pick whichever one you want to take and really glean the message from. Or better yet, you could ask the Holy Spirit to show you what, what message he has for you that day. But, you know, as I sat down yesterday morning and was uh, just putting the uh, final touches, I guess, on the sermon and going through it again, I really felt like the Lord directed me to uh, trim up the sermon a little bit, close down the buffet again, and just go with one main idea. And uh, the good news is I cut two points out of the sermon. We might be a little shorter today. But I really have great confidence that this is the message that God has for us on on this day. So we're going to look primarily at Acts chapter 7. However, uh, I want to start by reading a few verses in Acts chapter 6, right at the end. Acts chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 is where we're going to start. Stephen, who we met last chapter because he was one of those first guys that was appointed for waiting tables and, and freeing up the elders. Uh, now God is using him in ministry and God is using him to perform miracles and preach his message and just like we found earlier when you do that when you're proclaiming Jesus Christ you run into some opposition and he meets with great opposition here uh, in chapter 7 but again at the end of 6 it says this then they secretly those who were against him the religious leaders instigated men who said We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they seized him, and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Now, just to uh, think about that for a couple seconds here, what they were saying about Stephen. This is very similar to what happened in the trial of Christ. They paid, they instigated false witnesses to come in and lie about him. But here's what they were saying about Stephen. I want you to remember this. They said that he is blaspheming God, blaspheming Moses, blaspheming the temple and the law. We're going to come back to that idea. So then, as chapter 7 begins, Stephen preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And I would uh, read it to you right now, but I got a feeling I'd lose a lot of you because he goes into incredible detail. Uh, He illustrates his knowledge of the law of the scriptures and uh, and does a lot of things there. But we're going to and we're going to come back and we're going to look at that message. We're going to summarize that message. But before we do that, I want to see the results at the end of the message. So we're going to continue reading at the end of Acts chapter 7, beginning of verse number 54. And it says this, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Again, the religious leaders. They were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. When I used to teach that to kids, 
I was teaching from the King James Bible, and instead of saying they ground their teeth, it says they gnashed on him with their teeth. So I used to teach them that they actually bit Stephen. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes. That was just one of the smaller ones. I can remember because I used to use an illustration. At that time, our son was the terror of the church nursery. He was biting all the other crawlers. So I used to use that as an illustration and say that they were biting Stephen. They weren't biting him, but they were grinding their teeth. They were so angry with him. Verse 55 says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now we're going to talk a little bit later in the sermon about the importance of the normal posture that Jesus had at the right hand of God in that he was seated. But the Bible says here that Stephen saw him standing. And I just wanted to mention for a minute something I think is important that we remember. I've had a few friends who have faced the death of a loved one in recent weeks. Uh, Chris and Eunice Thomas went out to Vermont uh, at the passing of his mother out there. And I mentioned my friend and pastor for a long time that passed away. And this last week, uh, Dwayne Avon got to go to heaven. And, you know, when, when we talk about those things, uh, I think to somewhat comfort ourselves, we think, boy, that uh, the reunion someday for us is going to be great. And the reunion that Dwayne is having right now with Joyce is going to be great. And we, we kind of focus on that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I have a couple of grandchildren that I think I'm going to get to meet someday in heaven that uh, uh, they were... In, in miscarriage they were lost in a miscarriage and I'm excited about the reunion aspect of heaven but I want you to know the biggest thrill of heaven doesn't involve any type of reunion with somebody we knew here it involves seeing the king of glory Jesus Christ and, and that's what Stephen got a glimpse of. He saw there Jesus. Verse number 57, the crowd isn't too excited about this, though. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. To stop there for just a second again. The stoning at this time, I don't know what you envision if somebody's you know, picking up these little rocks that just skip along the water and keep pelting him or something like that until he's dead. But the stoning at this time was more like they would force him off of a, usually a cliff, not a huge one, maybe a 10-foot drop or 20-foot drop. They'd force him down onto the rock. So he'd fall over there, be laying there in agony. If that didn't kill him, then they would take more boulder-sized rocks and begin to chuck them down. Each one of these rocks could take his life, but a very barbaric act of stoning. So that's what they did. And the witnesses laid their hands on the gar I'm sorry, laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to talk about him in just a second for a minute. And they were stoning Stephen. He called out. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. <laughs> Listen to this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Before we get back to the main character in our story, Stephen, I just wanted to mention this is the first time we meet this guy named Saul. Uh, in my family, uh, uh, we have a tendency to quote weird lines from movies. One of the ones we like to use is that uh, whenever somebody is disproportionately angry, we'll say, that guy is a very angry elf. Now, some of you know the movie that I'm talking about there. Uh, but uh, anytime, you know, I, I can hear my son saying, oh, Dad, it, it's the way of telling you that you're out of control and nicely. So you say, oh, Dad's an angry elf right, right now. Well, 
Saul was one seriously angry elf. You see, he's witnessing Stephen's death, and you'd expect Stephen to be crying out in pain, but instead he's looking towards Jesus. It says his face shone, and, uh, and he's saying things like, Lord, don't hold this against them. That had to really tick Saul off. You see, when somebody is under the conviction, and we know Saul was, because later on, in chapter 9, Jesus is going to ask this question of, of Saul. He's going to say, isn't it hard for you? And he uses the phrase, to kick against the goads. Now, really strange expression, but the goad was that sharp instrument that they would use to move maybe the ox along. And uh, if the ox resisted, if he kicked against it, the pain was going to increase. And it kind of gives us a picture of conviction. We know that Saul was under conviction. He was kicking against the goat as God was moving him and drawing him. He was fighting against that. I just thought of that during this time. If there is one person that you do not want to be quarantined with, it is somebody that is under conviction. And that describes Saul here. His anger increases. And in chapter 8, we see that he is acting like a, like a wild boar, really, in the way that he is pursuing the church but uh, we'll, we'll get to him again later in coming weeks let's go back and talk a little bit about Stephen you may know that Stephen is regarded as being the first martyr in scripture in scripture he's the first one to lay down his life uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ and that right there would make an awfully good sermon don't you think I mean I could say are you willing to die for Jesus but the truth of the matter is not a whole lot of us are probably going to be faced with that option or, or, or with that pressure that uh, are you willing to lay down your life so maybe a better sermon would be are you willing to live for Jesus that makes a little bit more sense and that that, that could be a rip-roaring sermon we ought to save that for another day but that's not really what I believe the Lord would, is drawing our attention to this day is, is that Stephen was the first martyr. I want you to realize that he was also the first apologist. Now, I might not sound all that exciting there, but when we talk about apologetics, it is not the idea of, okay, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. But it is the idea of that I know why I believe what I believe. And that... Stephen could stand here against incredible opposition, persecution, and even death because Stephen knew what he believed. God uh, had used his testimony to convict the Apostle Paul. Why did he have this testimony? Because he knew what he believed. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect always be ready to give the reason or some translations say to give an answer to every man for the hope that we have and the hope that we have that anchors us even toward the difficult times that we're facing right right now is found in our knowledge of who he is and we'll see that in the life of Stephen. And very simply, as we look at his sermon, if you, if you read through his sermon in chapter 7, bottom line is Stephen knew his stuff. Remember, he was accused of blasphemy against God. He was accused of blasphemy against the, uh, uh, the law, against Moses, against the temple. If you read his sermon, what he does is he answers one of those issues, every one of those issues. He talks about the God of glory that he believes in. He talks about Moses' story and how well that he knew it and explains that even Moses was rejected the same way that they rejected Christ. 
He talks about the idea of the law and his knowledge of the law. Uh, the temple that is not, he said, God's dwelling place is not in anything made by human hands. He explains very well that he didn't blaspheme against any of those things in his proclamation of Jesus Christ. What he knew, what Stephen knew is what anchored him. Okay, what Stephen knew is what enabled him to stand in the midst of hard times. Listen, um, I want to say just kind of a word of explanation. Uh, while we've been putting on you know, different things on Facebook Live and everything like that, I, I really have been trying to encourage everybody to have some fun. <laughs> uh, get outside when you can. Take a break from the news when you can. Take a take take a nice walk. Pastor James did that thing on Wednesday with uh, with Aaron, and they were t talking about the different games that they're playing at home. Uh, great ideas. Making sure that you're putting a smile on your face. Uh, Marissa posted a little question one day: What makes you smile? And and uh, just reading that question made me smile. And I got to get thinking about the different things that God uh, uses to bring us smiles and laughter, how important it is. I think my favorite thing I saw on Facebook this last week is this, the, uh, the guy that said, hey, they told me that all I needed to go to the grocery store was a mask and gloves. He said they lied. Everybody else there had clothes on. You know, I, I get amused by goofy things like that. I watched the Leslie Nielsen movie this week, which I think everybody ought to watch it at least once. Uh, but and, and you know that. If you know me at all, you know that I, <laughs> I like fun. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to tell one other goofy little story here. I was watching these uh, different sermons put on Facebook where these different messages by pastors. And one of the guys that's my friend, I saw his came, come up, so I watched it. And I saw him, and he's standing there in his office. He looks so pastorally, whatever that means. Around his office, he has pictures of John Calvin and Martin Luther, and he has all these books on the wall and he looks so much like a pastor I at first thought that is really sad that that our people have a pastor who instead of pictures of Luther and Calvin has a slinky and a remote control car and uh, you know paperback books and I thought that's really sad but then I thought you know what no nope, that's kind of who I am uh, I really like the whole idea of fun and we're going to continue to promote that idea but I don't want you to miss this that these things that we're talking about, this kind of idea, hey, keep smiling, keep an optimistic look, those are not the ultimate anchor that we need. Okay? Optimism, good, but optimism is not all we need. You, you all remember the story they used to tell about the pessimists and the optimists, and, and the dad said... Uh, he was going to do a little test with them, so one year for Christmas, he took his two boys, and the guy who's the uh, pessimist, he gave them a beautiful train set, just the nicest one he could find. The guy that's the optimist, he went out in the field and he, he scooped up some cow manure and put it in a box and wrapped it up. Christmas morning comes and the uh, pessimist opens up the train and nothing's right. It's the wrong size. The, the smoke that blows out isn't right. It's just not that great. But then he opens up the, uh, the optimist, opens up his box and starts running around the house, opening doors, looking outside. And, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I know there's a stinking pony in this house somewhere. I just have to find it. You know, and sometimes I, I, you think, hey, that's the message that we need. That message of optimism and fun and just make sure you, you take the opportunity to smile and enjoy some things is important. And we'll continue to, to bring it up. However, knowing what we believe and why we believe it, knowing the things that Stephen knew as he faced adversity is far more crucial. 
This is a time when our knowledge of apologetics needs to be on the rise. Right now, media has a great section on apologetics. Uh, anything that Josh McDowell wrote that he puts out there in that way. We went through a book in the fall uh, by uh, Jen Wilkins. They said, none like him would just be great for us to look into the character and the nature of God. But let's take a minute and look back at three things that Stephen knew that anchored him during this time. The first thing I want you to notice that he knew is he knew that heaven was real. We see here that his eyes are on heaven. His eyes are on Jesus. We know that Stephen was someone who lived in light of eternity. And I, I don't want to say this um, in silliness or flippant, this statement, because it sounds like a weird statement. But I want us to ask ourselves, what really is the worst that could happen? For me, the worst that could happen is I go to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. And again, I don't say that in no big deal. I'm not, I don't really have a death wish. I tell my wife all the time that the second time she marries, I want her to marry for money because the first time she obviously married for looks. But truth is, I'd kind of like to hang around. I don't want to think about her marrying the, this handsome guy in the future and, and uh, spending time with my grandchildren without me. I have no death wish, but when I realize the worst that could happen is that I go to be with Jesus Christ. What we're facing now there's a very good chance that it will someday be a paragraph, maybe even a whole chapter in a history book. But it's not going to fill up the whole book. It's not going to fill up all of life here on this earth. And for sure, it is minimal. It is but a blip when compared with eternity. This life that I have on this earth is, is wonderful. I'm so thankful for it, but it is not my greatest possession. My greatest possession goes to the eternal life purchased through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the fact that I will spend eternity with him. Stephen saw that. Stephen knew that. He knew that heaven's real. He also knew God's forgiveness. Stephen is able to look at these folks stoning him and, and pray this prayer, God, do not hold it against them. That's amazing, isn't it? I believe that that ability to forgive can only come from a realization of how forgiven he was that he knew of his own sinfulness that he knew of his own need of Christ's salvation um, our forgiveness man's forgiveness is always going to be flawed my forgiveness is conditional you know a, a lot of times uh, I have a hard time forgiving somebody if they don't seem sorry enough my forgiveness is often temporary in that I will, you know, I'll think, yeah, I've gotten over that. I'm never going to hold that against them again until something happens and something sets me off. And once again, my bitterness creeps in and my lack of forgiveness creeps in. God's forgiveness is perfect. Stephen must have grasped that for him to be able to uh, forgive the others. Now, we talked about that posture of God, that God is seated, I'm sorry, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. In, in Hebrews, we find out that, that Jesus took that seat after he had finished his work, after he has finished his work of laying down his life as a sacrifice, and when that was complete, he is seated. Because that work is done. That way has been made. And we have been given this perfect forgiveness. So Stephen got a hold of the forgiveness. He understood that. Uh, Stephen most definitely uh, understood that uh, heaven was real. The third thing that I want us to, to realize is that Stephen knew God's story. 
where Stephen knew God's record. As you read through his sermon, again, he talks about the covenant that God made. He talked about the fact that God is good to keep his covenant and his promise. Um, I want you to think a little bit about that story of God that you know. And, th and this week would be a great time to really focus on uh, that story even of the last week of Jesus' life and what took place there. Do you know that the scripture, there are 89 chapters in, the, in all the gospels together, 29 of which refer to the last week of Jesus' life. So about one-third of the scriptures focus on this last week. And I want you to think about the fact that uh, the followers of Christ, none of them saw the good in what was taking place. They're scattering, they're running, they're denying Jesus Christ, they're betraying Jesus Christ. They did not see as we can see that out of death comes life. And I want to encourage you, there, there's a song uh, that uh, Francisca Botticelli, I'm going to kill her name, I know, but she sang, so write your story, inviting God to write that story on her heart. And uh, I want you to write uh, Ask God to write his story that you can see how God works. Um, I've asked Adam to sing a song here at the end that uh, we've sung around here before. And I thought fit perfectly. It's a song called Scars. And every time I hear it, <laughs> to be honest with you, every time I hear it, I, I was singing it this morning as he was practicing it out in the hallway. I have to fight back tears a little bit because... It so much describes the story that God has written in my life. How he has used difficulty, how he has used hurt, how he has used even self-inflicted damage. And he's used those things to draw me closer to him. My question for you today is this. Is a story... Well, let me, let me say it like this. Is the promise of heaven that Stephen held on to, is that yours? Is the knowledge of God's forgiveness that helped Stephen stand strong, is that yours? Is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ something that you can look at and see in your life? How he has taken the scars, how he has taken the hurts, and he has brought beauty and he has brought glory to himself out of these things in our lives father Adam's going to sing thank you for the scars I want to thank you right now and Lord I don't want to be corny I don't want to be goofy preacher speak but I want to thank you for what you're doing in our lives now I can't see how you're going to use it but I know you and I know the story that you've already completed and I know nothing's going to change in this I know that you are going to take what we face right now and we're going to know your heart better we're going to know your, you better you will be glorified and we will even be able to look back and say thank you Father thank you for the hard times and the scars that they produced Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269 269- 269.
Thank you for listening.